Magnet television. Magnet television. Magnet television. You're watching magnet television because what else are you going to do? Hey, this is Alan Epley. This is my quarantine beard. I think uh, my favorite song of all time, which is kind of ridiculous and hard to, really difficult to pin down, with all due respect, um, it is uh, Time by Pink Floyd from the Dark Side of the Moon LP. Uh, third song on the record, it is a perfect mix of what Pink Floyd does and what I want to hear in a chord progression. The, the lyric, the melody, the lyric about uh, missing the starting gun and forgetting to start their whole race. Um, all the years that have slipped past, you look up, you're working, and, uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're 10 years down the line and what the fuck have I been doing? Um, the solo, David Gilmore's solo on there and some of the notes he reaches there are just like, um, it's just perfect. Honestly, for me, there's no time I wouldn't want to hear that song. It's perfect in the morning. It's perfect in the evening. It's perfect with the lights off. It's perfect with the morning sun on the grass um, in the afternoon. Um, it's my favorite song of all time. As a, as a very close second, I would have to put uh, Good to be King from Tom Petty from the Wildflowers record. And that also... Um, big dose of melancholy, the chord progression and its simplicity, um, great riffs though, and uh, the, the, the message of uh, um, being on top of the world and still having nothing and being as sad as you could possibly be while also having everything and uh, um, the, the realization that having everything doesn't solve um, those basic of life problems of love and things like that stubbing your toe so Pink Floyd time from Dark Side of the Moon that's my go I think the most influential album for me the one that changed my life is uh, is Boston the very first Boston record uh, when it came out I would have been eight years old um, and uh, I heard on the radio but I think hearing it in my babysitter's Monte Carlo um, it was her boyfriend's Monte Carlo and that, back then she would everyone smoked cigarettes back in the day so she smoked cigarettes while we were in this giant Monte Carlo from like the 70s with heavy doors um, and it had that kind of heavy leather interior smell or vinyl interior smell and she would crank up the 8-track of the first Boston record. And I've never heard it. Nothing had ever touched me like that. Nothing had ever uh, affected me. I didn't hear guitars ever like that. And that was the start of hearing rock and roll and having it fire my soul, having it just like be completely, um, it was a big deal. The sound of the guitars, the sound of the drum kit, the songs, his voice, the harmonies. It was stadium rock before there was that kind of um, bad vibe for it. You know, they're taking it's taking a bad rap, stadium rock. Um, but I was fascinated with that record 
top to bottom, still am, eight songs, 33 minutes, um, which is crazy to me. 33 minutes for like this record, you know, um, done in Tom Schultz's basement on his own 12 track. Um, the sound of the drum kit, the sound of his voice, the way he played bass, it wasn't, wasn't the guy, Fran Sheehan. Um, so it was mainly just like three dudes made the record. The drummer, and I think that was Sid Hashin, spilled one out. And Tom played bass and guitar. And then I guess Barry Goudreau did some solos on it too. But I think a lot of it was Tom and Brad, Brad Delp. Spill one out for Brad Delp. And um, so that record, very influential for me. Everything after that was a new day. I was into rock and roll. I, I soon after that was, uh, you know, you get the, the basics at that time was, um, basically like Ario Speedwagon, high fidelity and, uh, and there's Toto four and there's four under four and, um, journey escape and, uh, sticks, paradise theater. All those were kind of a direct result of, uh, loving Boston. And then being, a beginning a career into rock and roll and kind of, I knew what I wanted to do. I mean, it was, I think it was based on that first record from those dudes. So thank you, Tom Schultz and Brad Dell. You two in particular, the rest of the band is awesome too, but come on. In 2001, uh, Shiner was out on tour with two bands, Burning Airlines, which is Jay Robbins and uh, Bill Barbeau, and uh, Pete Moffat from uh, Wool and Government Issue and all that. And we were also out with a Spanish band, some friends of ours from Barcelona, Barcelona, called Aina. Um, and they have since kind of morphed into um, another band called Nueva Volcano also based out of Barcelona. But, uh, so we were on tour in the summer on a heat wave, um, in August of 2001. And it was a fucking heat wave. It was heavy duty hot. And we were, we were about halfway through this two or three week tour. And then we were supposed to go over to Europe, um, in October. Um, and we did, or it was November we went over, but, uh, so, uh, we had a day off in Chicago where I live now and, uh, we had tickets to go see Radiohead at Grant Park outside and they were transcendent. I, we, it was a, obviously a very hot day. It started in the, the evening. It was probably 105 degrees, maybe I mean, when we got there, hard to find any place. You couldn't barely see. There's tens of thousands of people outside. And they're basically doing it on in Grant Park where there's a bunch of uh, softball fields. So we, uh, it was pretty great because at a certain point, we kind of shifted over, the, me and the people I was with. Um, and uh, I found myself on a pitcher's mound. And so I was up above everybody else in my head. I got this, got this wind and the sun went behind a cloud and then somebody passed a doobie or something. And, uh, they hit their stride and it was a transcendent show. They didn't want to leave the stage. He kept coming back. People were trying to leave the place. Even after the last encore, he came out to do some stuff from Pablo Honey, um, 
just acoustic. And it was um, a big deal. Affected me deeply. Uh, Radiohead's best band in the world. You know, um, they're they're definitely one of those. Uh, we we're talking about the coronavirus. Me and my wife being like, there's going to be a pre and a post, just like there was a pre and a post 9/11. It changes things. Um, Radiohead was a pre and a post band, especially for me, especially around OK Computer and that whole. I mean, they still are. I have every record. I have every. I have all of it. I'm a I'm a freak for those dudes. But uh, that day in August 2001, Grant Park with Radiohead was. I think the best concert I've ever attended. I don't think of my own shows as something where, like, I always see them as flawed. So the best thing I've ever participated in, I always get off stage and think I killed. And I always ask, I was like, how were we? And they would go, you're good. And I go, oh. And then other times when I get off stage and I think, oh, we're dog shit. And they go, you guys ruled. And so I never know what the, what the best concert is. So um, I'm going to stick with Radiohead, Grant Park, Chicago, 2001. You'd know it if you were there. I was the guy on the pitcher's mound. I had a very regrettable, embarrassing moment um, in high school. Um, and my senior year, I was starting. To, I was uh, playing bass, and we had a little throw together band, me and some dudes. Um, and uh, so we were, uh, we got chosen to be the like the backing band for everybody at the high school talent show, which was called Vaudeville. This was at Atherton High School in Louisville, Kentucky. And so this is my senior year, and. Uh, so I was kind of running shit. I was the lead in all the musicals. Um, I and I could see when we our choir went to state. You know, I was um, I kind of had uh, it was senior year. We were doing it was great. It was amazing. So I had a friend of mine, her a young lady, lovely young lady, very talented young lady named Betsy Onan, asked me to do a duet with her, and could we get it into the show? The show had already been laid out, and everybody was already, all the acts were already decided. So I strong-armed the choral director, Mr. Lynn, Stephen Lynn, great man. Um, so I kind of strong-armed him and used my whatever influence I could, and I begged him. I said, we'll do this. We're going to kill it. We've already practiced. My buddy, Phil Stone, Philip Stone, um, the most amazing musician at Atherton High School at the time, and still a great, crazy musician, um, he, he played piano and helped us practice and so the song was Separate Lives by Phil Collins and uh, somebody else, Marilyn Martin, who I don't know, and it was from a movie starring Mikhail Baryshnikov and Gregory Hines, a couple dancers. It was called White Nights. So I wasn't as familiar with the whole song as I should have been. I knew the chorus, which goes, you had no right, which I could do that part. But the opening bit is kind of meandery, and I never really knew it. I practiced it okay. I got down to it was okay. We we did all, we got to it. We walked out on stage. Here it is. We're slipped in between in the second half of the show. We get out. Six hundred people in the auditorium. The entire school is watching. We get out there, and he does a little twinkle, twinkle, twinkle of the notes, 
and he gives me my pitch, ding, 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 or whatever it is, and then he, and I kind of was like, ah, and he goes, ding, 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 and basically, I never fucking found it until, uh, almost until the chorus when we came in and, uh, and sang, uh, I kind of got it together for that part, but I remember being mortified, fucking mortified, and letting Betsy down. And Betsy, I'm really sorry for that. Um, I know it's haunted us both. It was uh, one of those times. The the uh, everyone was very nice, and you get the you get the requisite. Oh, all the woo girls were there, and that was great. But. Uh, we were, I was dog shit and I ruined it for everybody. That was mortifying. So since then, it's all been better. And then, uh, cut together, cut about 30 years later, I was at the Empty Bottle here in Chicago with, uh, my band, The Life and Times. Um, and, uh, so we started one of our last songs called The Sound of the Ground. This is from the Magician EP and has this long guitar intro. And this was near the end of the set and we'd had a couple beers, we did a couple shots and we did, this was a double encore. We got called back again for another encore. So we gave back in and I started then everybody loves this song. Super long, kind of heavy and kind of spacey. Long guitar intro and I did this whole thing and when I finally came back in, the whole band comes in about 30 seconds in and it's dog shit and there I've realized that something is terribly wrong and that I'm in the wrong key I've started and played the entire song a half step lower than what it was supposed to so uh, that, that was low that was low so uh, I'm not sure exactly oh you know what I did I shifted up one fret and uh, that changed it um, everyone kind of laughed and looked around and was embarrassed for me but um, none more than me so, um, yeah, I'm sure there are worse moments that I've had on stage. I mean, I haven't taken a shit on stage, but you know, some people love us. It wouldn't be embarrassing. This is Alan Epley and, uh, you're watching magnet television and always make sure that the trailer is attached. Sine.